Hey, well, thanks so much. Join the band will be back a little bit later, but you can uh, take a seat. Yeah, give him a hand, hey. Crush that. Hey, uh, welcome. As, uh, as, thanks, Riley. Appreciate that. As, uh, as Riley and Steph said, my name, uh, my name is Chris, and I'm one of the communicators here at Beyond. And uh, I'm so excited for tonight. I'm excited for a couple of reasons. One, that Greek truck and Mr. Tokyo Dog are here. Uh, and there's a whole heap of our uh, last minute shopping, which I can do because I haven't even begun my Christmas shopping yet. So we're super excited, uh, or I'm super excited to get into that. Uh, but I'm also really, really excited because we're launching a brand new series tonight. If you're new to church or uh, if, if this is the first time back in a long time, the way we like to do things here at Beyond is we'll pick a big idea or a theme and we'll camp out on it for a number of weeks and we'll attack it from a number of angles and we'll, we'll smack it all together, give it a fancy title, put a logo on it and we'll call it a series. And so really my role tonight is to launch this brand new series called Once Upon a Time. <clears throat> and tonight I'm not going to answer all of your questions, I'm just going to get the ball rolling and then in part two and part three, some of our other communicators, Riley and Josh, are going to come up and they're going to land the plane on this series. But given that it is Christmas time and maybe some of you are here for the markets and uh, you may not know me, I thought I'd let you know that I'm a 90s kid. Uh, and as a 90s kid, I feel like that's a, uh, a privilege to be born at such a unique period in time in history. Because this is the golden age of Disney movies, right? The 90s is the golden age. If you look at the Disney movies that were released in the golden age, you had the cream of the crop. Like, you have uh, Beauty and the Beast. You have The Lion King. You have Mighty Ducks. Yeah, Mighty Ducks is Disney. D1, D2, D3, all of those ones. Toy Story 1 and 2 were released during the 90s. 101 Dalmatians were released in the 90s. Um, I'm going to go out on a limb. I guess The Little Mermaid was released in the 90s. I didn't fact check that one. It was. Thank you, Front Row. Appreciate that. Uh, <coughs> and there was a whole heap of movies released in the 90s. It was just like the golden era. And you're probably thinking to yourself, for those really hardcore Disney buffs, you're like listing off movies that I haven't labeled. Like that just backs my point up. There's so many good movies that I haven't even had the opportunity to, to, uh, to share. And it was kind of like a thing... I don't, know if it, I don't think it was just a thing in the 90s, but I think it's a Disney thing. Like, if you're the cream of the crop with Disney movies, you get a Christmas movie. Like, the Beauty and the Beast had a Christmas movie. The Muppets had a Christmas movie. Even old mate Winnie the Pooh got a call up for a Christmas movie. Uh, I think just in the 90s alone, like, the king of Disney, Mickey, released like seven or eight Christmas movies. And he, he was just, uh, like, Christmas was like one of those things uh, in Disney movies. But I've got to make a little bit of a confession. This is the point where... Half of you are probably going to like switch off and not want to have to listen to anything that I've got to say. And half of you are going to lean in. You're like, I can relate. Uh, because I actually not, am not a fan of Disney movies. I hear, I hear you, some of you, you're like, oh, but let me explain, okay? Because the reason, I'm not, I'm not against Disney. Like, I'd like the idea of liking Disney. I'm just not going to go and sit down and throw a Disney movie on for fun. And the reason is because when I went to see my first movie in the cinemas, it was The Lion King. And everything was going so well up until the point where Scar threw Mufasa off that cliff. And then he gets trampled by the beast. And I'm like, I'm like five years old and I'm like bawling my eyes out. I'm like, how could you do that? And so I was kind of scarred from Disney for a little bit. And then I thought to myself, you know what, Chris, this is silly. Like, get back on the horse. Disney's such a big deal. This was, I was clearly thinking this when I was five. And, and I got back and I, I decided I'll watch Bambi. Now, for those of you who don't know Bambi, Bambi's the movie about a deer, and in the opening scene, Bambi's mum dies. And so I thought to myself, like, I'm done with Disney, because Disney either only has two objectives, tear families apart and make small children cry. Like, I was just done. Um, 
And maybe some of you, maybe you're like, nah, I, I didn't go with Disney. Because after that Disney, I went down like the rabbit hole. I went down the superhero rabbit hole hard. Like specifically the Batman superhero rabbit hole. That was, that was like my stories. That's what I loved watching and, and uh, listening to growing up. And maybe you're not Disney. Maybe you're not superheroes. Maybe instead you had a favorite book or a favorite author that you were like, this is what I loved reading growing up. Or maybe for some of you now, you've got that favorite show on Netflix that you're like, this is my jam. This is what I go to to unwind. This is, this is it. Or maybe even for some of you, you're, you're a gamer, so you would love to immerse yourself in the storyline of your favorite video games. That's the stories that we tell ourselves. And, and regardless of, of whether you grew up with movies or books or video games or whatever it is, one thing that is a common thread with, within all those things, those stories that we grew up with as, a chil as children, is that there's always a disclaimer at the start of them. And the disclaimer varies, you know, it uses different language, but, but the, 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 the uh, age-old disclaimer is this, once upon a time. This kind of just flashes out to everyone like, hey, just so you know, what you're about to watch, what you're about to read, what you're about to see, it might be inspirational, it might be motivational, it might have something that you can apply to your life, but you need to know from the outset that at the end of the day, it's just a story. It's a once upon a time. Now, the way people use that has changed. You know, some people are like, a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. Now, other people are like, uh, you know, uh, in, a fairy, in a fairy tale princess castle. Or for some people, sometime in the distant future or sometime in the distant past. Or the favorite that kind of is used a lot uh, in modern films is based on true events. We really know, there was a guy and a girl, that was all that happened in that movie that was true. Everything else was made up. And so often we kind of have this idea, and we go, no, go into these shows and these, we read these books, and we know this is just a story. And maybe you grew up in church, or you had experience, and you heard some stories that people call Bible stories. And you heard them told in this way, in a once upon a time kind of fashion. And so you grew up, thinking about and hearing about God and about these Bible stories and what you thought to yourself because they were told in this same way is, sure, they're inspirational, they're motivational maybe, maybe there's something that I can apply to my life, but they're definitely not historical. They definitely didn't happen, did they? And I kind of wanted to put this to the test, right, because I decided um, this week, what would it look like and what would it be like if I had to try and piece together the Christmas story that, uh, from our culture if I didn't know any of the backstory, if I'd never grown up going to church, if I hadn't, didn't know who Santa was or any of that sort of stuff, what would I do? So I went, every shopping center I went into this week, I was trying to like imagine, if I had to piece it together, what would I say is the meaning of Christmas? And this is what I came up with. You could probably come up with something completely different, but from looking at all the decorations, from looking at all the packaging, from looking at everything, this is what I came up with my definition of Christmas. It's the celebration of a European reindeer wrangler slash breeder whose favorite color is red and gives away free stuff once a year. Now, I need to clarify how I came to that conclusion. He's European, clearly, because no one would be wearing those boots and that fur in this kind of climate, right? Like, I have pants on tonight, and I'm like, man, it is so hot, I should have worn shorts. Like, there's no way Santa is Australian. Then I kind of said, he's got to be a, a, a reindeer wrangler slash breeder one, because like there, I always saw kind of two portrayals of Santa, like the really, really young version or the older version of Santa. And I was like, surely that reindeer with the red nose has not been around this whole time. 
Surely he's got to be breeding red-nosed reindeers that he just puts on the front. Or surely he's got to be getting and somehow wrangling reindeers to kind of jump on this sleigh with him. Uh, his favorite color is red because obviously I never saw it, didn't see him in any other color but red. And then the final piece, he gives away free stuff once a year. Now, I'll be honest, I had to read this into the story. I just kind of assumed that he was a good guy. Because in all the pictures I saw, he was kind of like high above the world with this big sleigh and all this stuff in the back. I just kind of assumed he was giving it away as opposed to stealing it because for me that made nicer sense. You know, that we kind of venerated a, uh, you know, uh, someone who was fantastic as opposed to a criminal. Although it is Australia, Ned Kelly, so maybe, maybe it was, it was something. But I kind of drew that around. And then I noticed this like weird thing. It wasn't in a lot of shopping centers. But for me, I kind of thought this is how he became a reindeer wrangler or a breeder because it was almost like this little setup on the side of like the birth of Santa, I assumed. Like, and it happened in a stable and it looked like a long time ago and there was dudes with staffs and there was like, they, look, they didn't really look like kings or anything, but there's a whole heap of people. And I thought maybe they've gone back and done like a Marvel or a DC and they're telling the origin stories of Santa. And this is how he became the reindeer wrangler or breeder. Maybe he's like the Steve Irwin of, the, of Europe and he can just talk to reindeer. That's his gift. And you're sitting here and you're like, Chris, come on, man. You, like, I hope that if you're in a church, you know, you, you know what Christmas is about, right? But so often we hear these stories in our culture and we hear the Santa story, and we hear the Jesus story, and then we kind of go, well, they're just two great stories. Why don't we do a crossover? Why don't we blend them together? And so what we've come to conclude, and maybe what some of you sitting here tonight have concluded, is this, that Christmas is simply a story. Sure, it's a great story. Don't get me wrong. It's a great story. Like, what other story is told, I just found out, in over 2,000 languages across the world every year? What other kind of story is really celebrated by such a vast majority of people around the world? What kind of story has the ability to impact us where we begin to think more of others? Where we begin to think of the family and friends we could be spending with and investing more time into them? Did you know that in the months of November and December, they're the, the two months of where uh, people give away the most money to charitable organizations? This is a great story. But some of us maybe have drawn the conclusion that it's, it's just that. It's not historical. And so tonight, what I want to do is I want to take us back in time. And I want to take us back in time, not to the Christmas story, because it wasn't known as the Christmas story when it was happening. But I want to take you to an, back to an event that occurred in history. And it's an event that a doctor called Luke wrote about. And Luke moonlighted as a historian as well. So Luke was kind of like a doctor. He liked to have everything listed and everything logical. And so Luke would often write history. He'd interview people and he'd collect his sources. And what we'll discover, is uh, what we're going to look at, is the event that started what happened, uh, what we celebrate 2,000 years later called uh, Christmas. I nearly said Easter there. Called Christmas. And you'll discover that Luke did not use the phrase and did not start it or allude to anything of once upon a time. This is how Luke starts his account of the event that started Christmas. He says, at that time, <coughs> in other words, this is a specific time, at a specific point in history. What Luke is trying to get us to understand is what I'm about to tell you isn't sometime in the distant future, isn't sometime in the distant past. It didn't happen in a galaxy far, far away it happened at a point in history. And then he goes on, he goes, here's, here's how you can know that this happened. Because at that time, the Roman emperor was Augustus. 
Now, <clears throat> we need to spend some time understanding exactly who Luke's talking about when he says Augustus. Because this guy that, that Luke refers to as Augustus wasn't born as Augustus. In fact, he was born as this guy, Gaius Octavius. And he was born in the year 63 BC. And you're probably sitting there thinking like, never heard of him, never heard of that year, don't really know, where are we going? Gaius was related to someone you probably have heard of. He was the nephew of this guy, Julius Caesar, who at the time was the leader of the Roman Republic. And Gaius kind of caught the eye early on of his uncle Julius because Gaius was a commander in the, in the Roman uh, army. <clears throat> he, was a, he was a leader. And Julius Caesar saw a lot of himself in the young Gaius Octavius. And in the year 44 BC, an event happened that wove these two lives, this uncle and this nephew's lives together in an irreversible way. Because in 44 BC, Julius Caesar was assassinated by members of the Roman Senate. And Gaius Octavius was away fighting for the Republic of Rome. And news got to Gaius that his uncle was murdered. And so Gaius makes the trek back to Rome to, to, uh, to bury Julius. And as he's making his way back there, messengers come and they see him on the road and they say, guys, we've got we to tell you something. People started to read Julius Caesar's will. And in his will, you're given everything. And from that moment, Gaius Octavius inherited the deeds, the titles to all his land, and he also became the heir to Julius Caesar's throne. And from that moment on, he changed his name to Gaius Caesar. Julius Caesar didn't have, any son, uh, didn't have a son. And so Gaius Caesar continues on. And in the year 42 BC, he changes the constitution of Rome because he's not really happy with the Senate. Obviously, he didn't know who he could trust in there. He goes, I don't know who I can trust in this Senate. I don't want to risk assassination. I'm going to change it so that I have the final say. And in 42 BC, Gaius Caesar became the first emperor of Rome. And it was at this period of time as well that the Roman Senate deified Julius Caesar, which was really common practice back then. What they would do is they would say, well, well this guy has uh, you know, led our country well, he's done great things, we're going to make him a god, we're going to deify him. And so J Gaius Caesar literally became known around Rome as the son of God. And then at that time when he established Rome as a republic, the people began to call him Augustus, revered, venerated, esteemed. And so his name became Caesar Augustus. And that's the person that Luke is writing about. He's saying, this actually took place. Fact check me, I dare you. And then he goes on, because something was happening. At that time, Augustus decreed that a census should be taken throughout the entire Roman Empire. Now, what Luke doesn't tell us is this is actually the first census that ever took place, that ever encapsulated all of Rome. Up until that point in time, regional censuses had taken place, but this was the first one that ever took place across all of Rome. And the reason that Augustus did it was uh, all around tax. See, up until that time, people were taxed based on the community and the income of an entire community. So imagine if we were a community, the way that Rome would tax us is they would add up everything that all of us earned, and then we would pay a, per a percentage of that to, uh, to Rome. But Caesar said, no, I'm changing it. What I'm going to do is I'm going to uh, have everyone pay a 1% income tax based on the earnings of their community. And then he's got said, I'm going to get them to pay what's called a poll tax, which is a flat fee for the privilege to be a part of the Roman Empire. But in order to figure out 
who was part and who wasn't part of the Roman Empire, he issued this census so that everyone had to go back because Augustus didn't want to miss anyone because that meant money that he missed out on. So, he, uh, so it goes on and Luke says that um, all returned to their own ancestral towns to register for this census. That's what had to happen. But it took place, and he adds another detail, and this was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. Try and say that 10 times fast. While Quirinius was governor of Syria. And the reason he adds this name in is because who we're going to be introduced to in a second, Mary and Joseph, actually lived in the region that was governed by Quirinius. He keeps on going deeper and deeper. Because I'm not just telling you the emperor. I'm going to tell you who was over and who was the local MP for Mary and Joseph. And then he has this interesting fact. He says this was the first census. Because there was multiple censuses taken while Quirinius was governor of Syria. In fact, Luke writes about a second census later. And not just Luke, but also the Roman historian Josephus writes about a second census. And in the last sort of 30 years, archaeological digs in this area have discovered coins that date back to this time period. And on those coins is the face and the name Quirinius. Because Luke wants us to know this actually happened. And then he goes on. He says, and because Joseph, as in Joseph as Mary and Joseph, was a descendant of King David, that's important, I'll tell you why in a second, he had to go to Bethlehem in Judea, David's ancient home. Get all the numbers right, make sure the poll tax is important. The reason that Luke adds these two names in is because he wants people to see, hey, I've given you the empire. I've given you the regional view of what was going on at the time. Now I'm telling you about this guy called Joseph. And if you want to see that he existed, go out and get King David, who is one of the most well-known leaders from the nation of Israel. And he said, get out his family tree. Roll that scroll out. Blow the dust off and follow it down. And what you will discover is a person called Joseph. Luke says, that's who I'm referring to here. And then he goes on. He says, he traveled there from the village of Nazareth in Galilee. And from Nazareth in Galilee to Bethlehem, it's about a 130-kilometer journey. Again, he's just adding in the details. Fact check me, he's saying. Fact check me. And then he goes on. He took with him Mary, his fiance, who is now obviously pregnant. Now, if you've been paying attention, you'll notice that down in the bottom, we're in Luke chapter 2. So in Luke chapter 1, Luke, which is like the prologue or the introduction to Luke's historical account, what he actually says is he actually describes how Mary became pregnant. And he tells us that Mary became pregnant by the Holy Spirit. Imagine telling that to your mum, ladies. Oh, how'd you get pregnant? God? Like, yeah, right. Okay, girlfriend. And Luke, the reason that Luke adds this in, and he, he surrounds this story with all this historical data, because he goes, hey, you know, you know what? I know there are some parts in this story that are difficult to understand, because not everyone is walking around pregnant by the Holy Spirit. But I want you to know that everything that I'm talking about actually happened in time and you can go back and fact check it. And just because it sounds incredible doesn't mean it's not historical and doesn't mean it did not happen. And then he continues. And this is how he finishes the first Christmas story. And while they were there, after they got to Bethlehem, the time came for her baby to be born. That's how Luke describes the very first Christmas. Not once upon a time, not 
It happened a long time ago, but he goes, it happened in this historical context, and here's how you can verify it. And believe it or not, the reason he writes in that way, the reason he brings in all these facts is actually for you and actually for me. And the way we can tell is because of what Luke says in the opening paragraphs of his historical account. He says this, he goes, here's the reason I'm writing what I'm writing in the way that I'm writing it. He says this, so you can be certain of the truth of everything you were taught. He says, the reason I'm telling you all this, the reason I'm getting you to fact check me is because I want you to know the truth. I want you to know that this actually happened. Now, before we wrap up, we need to talk about this word because I, I guarantee that there are some of you, right? And, and I understand, right? Because this is what our culture does, that you would hear this and you've heard this story tonight and you've heard me talk and you're like, okay, Chris, that might be true for you. And that's great that you believe that. It's great that, that you know, the people at Beyond believe that stuff, but, but it's just not true for me. Okay, it's true for you, but it's just not true for me. And I want to let you know, if you've ever thought that, or you've ever kind of maybe, uh, you've heard that said, uh, I don't want to be offensive and I don't want to be rude. I just want to tell you something because I care about you and maybe no one else will ever tell you this. That doesn't make sense. Okay, because if Jesus was born in history, either he was born or he was not born. You can't have a half born. Okay, either, he, either it happened or it didn't. One person can't be, oh, it's true for you, but it's not true for me. It either did or it did not happen, which means that either both parties are wrong or one person's right and the other person's wrong. Either it happened or it didn't. You can't half-bake this. And I understand, and the reason that Luke does this is because he wants us to understand this, that Christmas is more than a story. It's history. And I get I totally get that some of you, you're like, yeah, Chris, look, I, that, that's fantastic, but, but I'm an atheist, or I'm a Buddhist, or I'm a Muslim, or, or I'm not really sure what I believe about this whole God thing, okay? How is this history for me? Well, it's history because it actually happened. This event happened. Jesus was born whether you're an atheist. He was born whether you're a Muslim. He was born whether you're a Christian. He was born whether you don't know what you believe. Jesus was born and entered into history. And maybe some of you are sitting there and you're like, okay, well, right, what does that mean? We're going to cover that in parts two and three. For all that I want you to wrestle with this week is if this, this event actually happened, we've got all this historical evidence to say this just wasn't a once upon a time, this happened in history. All I want you to think about is simply, if this happened, what impact does it have on my life? This happened. So how does it change your life? And come back next week as we dive in to the implications that it has, not just for you, but for all of history. I'd love to pray. Jesus, it's um, sometimes difficult when we talk about Christmas because it's it's often a story that's told in a once-upon-a-time kind of way. It's a story that's told as if uh, maybe it didn't happen, maybe there's no evidence for the fact that it happened. But Lord, as we open up and we look at what the historian Luke wrote, as we look at what other ancient historians, Josephus, and, and what we see in archaeological digs, Lord, what we find and what we unpack is that this is more than a story. This is history. 
And maybe this is the first time tonight there are people in this room who have begun to think about this Christmas story in a different way. And Lord, I pray that, that you would challenge them and that you would help them to begin to wrestle with this tension, that if it's more than a story, that if it actually happened, what does that mean for them? What does that mean for the way they live their lives? And what does it mean for the world? And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.